Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode two of Talks with Mo. Of course, this is Mo, and thanks for tuning in. Um, today, we are revisiting uh, one of the topics that we discussed on uh, episode one. And if you joined in with us on episode one, I promised you that we'd be going into our first series, um, Home Sweet Home. Uh, but uh, the flu bug has hit Mo, and uh, with it being um, some bad winter weather and the flu, I've kind of got behind on that. But today, um, I'm joined in with Chris. Chris, thanks for coming in. Hey, it's good to be back. This is the first podcast I've ever done that's not been in my apartment. Yeah, so um, Talks with Mo podcast is getting big. Uh, Chris has drove all the way in from Richmond today to uh, the Talks with Mo podcast studio. So we're awesome that he's come in from Richmond, and um, he didn't make the trip for nothing. We are talking about something dear to his heart, and uh, and of course, it is the favorite time of the year. And Chris texted me this morning. He said this is his favorite week of the year. And what is this week? It's Daytona 500 week. It's the Daytona 500. So today, um, we're going to be mostly talking about NASCAR and we'll probably get into uh, something else that's dear to our heart there at the end so uh, so yeah i'm excited for nascar um i cannot wait uh for the 500 it's just it's just the best time of the year what better way to kick off the i guess you could say the beginning of the year than with the the biggest race of the year exactly and the best thing about daytona is you kind of get like the little appetizer all week, you know, you start off with Daytona 500 qualifying, and just seeing cars on the track in general, whether it be practice or qualifying, is exciting. And then you move on to the Clash, which was yesterday, which was an awesome race. Kind of just gives you a little teaser of what's to come. Thursday we'll run the duels, and then Sunday will be the 500. Yeah, and, that, and that, like I said, you know, that's the cool thing about NASCAR is, you know, a lot of these sports, your big thing. Of course, you know, you got the championship and you got Homestead and all that stuff, where you know you got your season your 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 champ being crammed and all that but nascar they put the big show right up at the front so i think that's pretty cool you know that the, the daytona 500 just kicks off the season so we're going to be talking about nascar most importantly we're going to be talking about the daytona 500 uh home sweet home is still on schedule uh, i'll be recording that uh, probably the end of this week and the beginning of the next week so uh, make sure you uh, like us on facebook and twitter and uh, so you can get all the announcements on uh, whenever uh, our uh, episodes of Home Sweet Home are being released. But first, let's go ahead. And since we're talking about NASCAR and the beginning of the season, a new season brings new rules. And um, I was actually pretty amazed about how many new rules was, was being thrown out there this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... Seems like NASCAR changes rules probably more than any other professional sport. Sometimes right in the middle of the season, which is always a uh, hotly debated topic. But I think the changes this off season probably are going to have more effect than the changes we've seen any other year. Right. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And here's here's one of the new rules: is the new pit stop rules, basically. And so what what they, what it is is they're going to reduce the members from six members down to five members now which is a huge difference i think yesterday um when i was watching the race it seemed like the pit stops were almost moving in slow motion because they basically what these teams are doing now it's basically taking a carrier away which you don't think that's a huge deal but it's probably adding on about three to four seconds of pit stop so which it's quite a bit in nascar Right, so what they did before, you basically had, what, two tire changers, two carriers, a fuel guy, and a jack guy, right? Right. So now, you know, you get the two tire changers, you got your jack guy, possibly, you might have somebody multitasking you doing that. You got five guys, that's all, That's it. Yeah. And your gas man... He can only fuel the he car. He can only fuel the car. So that, that that is interesting, you know. He's he's just fueling, and that, that's all he can do, so... I don't know if you got it on your notes, but the pit gun rule also makes a huge difference so what was happening was last year these teams were basically spending millions and millions of dollars on these high-speed pit guns joe gibbs racing especially being number one yeah so they would develop (laughs) these pit guns that you know could allow them to get the tire off way faster than everybody else nascar stepped in and said okay we're not this is getting out of hand it's way too much money being thrown on these pit guns 
So now NASCAR is basically renting the teams to pit guns that all come from the same company. So every pit crew on pit road has the same pit gun now, and they're a whole lot slower than the fast ones that were around last year. Oh, I bet. And, you know, thinking about that, if they come off so quick, they're putting them on so quick too. And I think that could be some of the reason why we had these loose lug nut deals is probably they were putting them on so quick, they were probably just stripping them out. There was a lot, Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of times, I think, if you look back at some of the suspensions from last year and you heard the comments, the, the changer thought they were getting them, but basically it, that gun just moved so fast that sometimes they thought they had it on there and they didn't. Right. So that that's going to be interesting. I, I can't wait to really see how these ten, these teams, and basically NASCAR is like saying, hey, here's your five guys. You figure out how you want to do it. We're, you, you, we're not going to tell you one way this guy can do this. This is the only guy we're going to tell you. Fuel guy fuels the car. You get five guys. Figure it out. And I don't think there's one clear way that somebody's figured it out yet. Like even during the race yesterday, I think everybody's pit stops are pretty much just all about the same. They're all around 14, 15 seconds. It's, I mean, that's slower from last year when we were getting them down to 11 or 12. So I think the first couple of weeks are going to be interesting to see who gets it first and what they do and then who all copies it. Yeah, and I'd say every team had cameras on every pit stop. Oh, definitely. On Everybody's like, if I, was, if I was your competition, I was videotaping your pit stop to see what you guys were doing, see how what worked for you guys, what didn't work for us, and so... I mean, I got a feeling they'll probably figure it out pretty quick. It's all then. about it's all in the interest of safety, you know. They, I mean, they want to get people off pit road all they can. Um, they made this adjustment a few years ago, getting the extra official. We used to have, I think, two officials per pit stop. Now we only got one. So basically, NASCAR is just trying to get as many people off pit road as you can. And if you look at them changes, just getting two people off, you know, that's eighty people less on pit road on a pit stop than normal yeah and some of those pit roads are just ridiculous how how crammed packed they are i mean you look at martinsville you look at bristol you know some of those tracks you're just thinking you know how how do they function without getting somebody killed basically (laughs) there's been some close calls yeah there has okay uh another one of the rule changes is the hawkeye and basically what the hawkeye is it replaces the claw and um, what that is is basically um it's dozens of touch points on templates is right. your pre your pre inspection right. for your car. So now with the Hawkeye, you get eight projectors and seventeen cameras. And I was reading that's a hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred thousand touch points that that is reviewing every time your car is scanned. Right, and basically when they put these cars in this tent, it has to be pitch black dark for the system to even work. So when you see the cars rolling through tech now. They're putting them in a tent, and they're taking these curtains. They're rolling the curtains down. There can be no light in that tent. Nobody can be in the tent. It's kind of a mystery process. It kind of makes you <laughs> what's going on in there. That's funny. I, I didn't know about the tent thing. That's pretty cool. Um, so I, I was thinking, you know, how long this would take, and I was doing some reading. 30 seconds to scan and 30 seconds to determine if it's legal. Yes, and then basically all they got to do is a sheet is printed. They hand that to the crew chief. You're done. Instead of having to go through template by template. And then what would happen was, what teams were doing, they were passing certain sections. So let's say, you know, they were really close everywhere. They would pass these sections, and then once the car passed through, and that area had already been approved, they would go back and change it. And they would only retest where they failed. Right, right? but NASCAR caught this last year. (laughs) So that's why we had the situation last year, because... If one area failed, NASCAR was making them go through the whole car again. So that's why you had the situations of sometimes, you know, cars not being able to qualify. 15, 20 cars missing out on qualifying. So I think this system's a lot better. I don't think you're going to see nothing like that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of teams I think really had it figured out. Yeah. And it was pretty evident. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, so hopefully, you know, inspection isn't just going to be a mess. Because I, I know the big thing last year is you just had these teams just rushing, trying to get – you know, the car qualified, mm-hmm. you know, and, and inspected and all that. And there was a lot of teams that didn't make it, you know. Wow. So hopefully this speeds up the process, levels out the playing field a little bit more. And um, did, I guess they started this with the clash and everything, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, uh, I think they put – the first time they started this was on last Thursday. They had the cars in the tents. They had to get them ready. I guess that was pre-practice. Pre-clash practice was the first time that they put the cars through it. So, 
It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, another rule change is more time on repairs. They get six minutes instead of the five minutes in the pit. I guess that's just because, dude, you got five members now instead of six. Right. Got to so, even it out somewhere. So we'll give you an extra minute to fix your car. Um, also, too many pit members penalty adjustment. Uh, now two laps instead of going uh, to the garage. This was huge last year because if you remember – Matt During the chase, Matt Kenseth had that extra guy go over the wall, basically ended his championship hopes. Yep. I think NASCAR said, okay, maybe that was a little harsh. Yeah. Let's make it to where, you know, it's still going to hurt you, but it's not going to – if you do it now, you're losing two laps, which is going to cost you a good finish, but it's not going to take you out completely. Yeah, yeah, that was that was bad. I mean, that ended him at Kansas. And there was a lot of confusion, too. Like, there was a lot of, like, you know, what – I think the teams were confused about – that rule the whole time last year. I don't think it was ever really clear in their mind what the rule was. So it's good now that NASCAR, I think, or that we think, yeah. the rule is set in stone to where every team knows what it is. So now if you, that sixth guy comes over the wall? Two laps. Two laps down. Yes. So you don't have to go to the garage now. So that, you know, I Remember think that's the good. days where we just used to all beat the crap out of our cars with sledgehammers and just <laughs> keep doing it? Yeah. And parts and pieces would come across on the track and NASCAR would just call the caution and move on? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's. I guess this is the new way of doing it. But speaking of that, I got one of my memories for Daytona that it involves that, so that's that's going to be good. Um, another cool thing is uh, high-speed cameras in the car. So basically, this is a small camera focused on the driver, and this camera is activated whenever the incident recovery um, is activated. So whenever the car um, knows that hey something's not right you know whenever it throws these alarms off whenever it starts recording all this data in the car this camera is activated and what it is is it's supposed to watch the driver and for them to review the help with safety during wrecks and stuff like so that so here's my take on that i love this but let's not get to a point later on down the road where if there's a wreck we put that camera on the driver and nascar makes a call on what happened I don't, want, I don't want it to ever get to that point. Let's say that we have, like, an intentional wreck or something. We have, like, a Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano incident at Martinsville. I don't want NASCAR to pull up this camera that's supposed to be something that's used for concussions. Exactly. To, you know, to say, okay, well, he intentionally Put the blame took, on somebody, yeah. yeah. So I, as long as it don't get to that point, and I've seen where Dale Jr. tweeted that as well. He said this is a great step in the right direction as far as concussions and stuff like that, as long as that camera is used just for what it's supposed to be used for. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, if, I'm sure I'm sure they're going to try it at some point. Knowing NASCAR, <laughs> I can just see there being a, you know, a situation where it's a high stakes, NASCAR wants to figure out something, and they, they when, look at that camera. When old Jimmy gets put in the fence I hope... and Chad Knauss goes <laughs> crying, to, crying to NASCAR to ask to review his uh, camera, so. I hope that, I hope that don't happen. I hope we use the camera for what it's supposed to be used for and don't, you know, make it more complicated than what it needs to be. All right. So here, here's one that you liked. Is no ride height rules for restrictor plate races? Yeah. I don't... Well, I don't know if you said you liked it. I think you said that was interesting. It's very interesting because the cars are totally out of control. <laughs> like, I was... During the class yesterday, I mean, the cars... The back end of these cars are probably three inches off the ground. And just another... What they're doing now... So I was listening to another podcast on the way in, and they were talking about it. When they used to go to Daytona and Talladega, they would want to get that car leaning, the back end of it, leaning towards the corner, towards like the infield grass of the corner they're going into. Since there's no ride height rule now, it's opposite. So instead of the tra the trajectory of the car going to the left, it's actually going to the right. So if like you look at some of these cars that were qualifying, like the 88 Alex Bowman was probably the biggest example the whole right side of his car where they're trying to get that rear spoiler up out of the air mm -hmm. is pointed towards the fence, the outside wall. Totally opposite. To the right instead of pointing it down to the left. It's totally – these teams – and it ain't just one team that's doing it. These teams are smart, man. Every one of these cars have came that way. They, The teams have figured it out. Hey, there's no right height rule. Let's get that rear spoiler as high up as we can. Let's get it to the <laughs> right. And that's all fine and dandy because it's really going to be some crazy speeds. I think you had in your notes, Jimmy Johnson said it's going to be 20 mile an hour faster. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson, he, he, he stated that, you know, hey, this is going to be about 20 miles per hour. And NASCAR was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I don't think it was that much, but it was faster. Yeah. But, it, I mean, if you just look at the class yesterday, man, a lot of them cars were out of control, almost wrecking by themselves. 
like Kyle Larson, one of the best drivers there is, just almost lost it, just riding by himself. So, you know, and NASCAR says, okay, maybe two to three miles prior faster. So, um, but th- this could benefit the guys that race dirt and lock their cars loose. If you can drive an out-of-control race car. Kyle Busch. <laughs> I think it's good for you, but I don't know. I mean, the teams will eventually get them cars. They'll do other things to make them handle better. But I think we're, we've had limited practice. I think that's why the class yesterday was just so out of control. They'll get it figured out by Sunday. Everybody's car by Sunday will be driving a lot better than what it was during the clash. Right. So it's going to be fun to watch. And also another rule is uh, backup to the rear. So prior years, if you crashed in practice and went to your backup before qualifying, wherever you qualified, you got to keep that position. Right. Now, if you crash in practice – you go to the rear. Makes sense. I hadn't even heard that if, one. If, if you go to a backup car before qualifying, you go to the rear, no matter what. That makes sense. So, I can see that. So that, that's that's another one. So I, I think there's some other small rules or whatever, but those are the ones that really stuck out. But don't me. it look like those rules have kind of simplified things for the most point? Like we're not reading any of them rules and saying, man, that's so complicated. Nobody – like it seems like most of the rules they made are pretty simple to understand. You would – it seems like it. So yeah, far. I think they've tried to cut out the gray areas because they've, they've tried a bunch of stuff and it's just made stuff complicated and there was always room for, you know, interpretation. And I think now they're trying to make it black and white, right. but there's still going to be, <laughs> right. there's still going to be something. Teams I mean, will figure it out. Yeah. Give them a few races, they'll figure it out. Right. So, to the clash. Um Thoughts about it? What did you think about it? Did you get a chance to watch the Clash? I did not get the chance to watch all of it, but I, I went back and watched a pretty good amount of it. Okay. Well, it, I thought it was the first 75 lap race, right? So the first, you know, 30, 40 laps, totally out of control. Everybody's racing super hard. Kyle Larson almost loses it and takes out half the field, but yeah. he somehow makes a crazy save down on the apron. He goes down the apron, somehow brings it back up. You know, all, yeah. uh, Denny Hamlin is nailing Chase Elliott and pushing him to the front, which is really odd, considered where we were a c- couple months ago at Phoenix. But apparently they're, you know, I don't know if they're pushing each other out of spot or what they're doing, but they were basically slamming each other and pushing them to the lead. It was pretty. It was pretty hairy racing, and I kept thinking that there was going to be a massive wreck, and there never was. And then we get probably to the lap, uh, probably like forty after the first pit stop, and they're all just kind of riding around on the top. And I'm sitting, I'm texting Clint, and I'm like, "Man, this ending of this thing is going to be nuts because they're not going to ride around for you know till the last lap or till two to go exactly comes out that they ended up riding around till about three laps to go Mm -hmm. you know the toyotas would get a big run on the bottom there'd be four or five toyotas they'd try to get this big run going on the bottom they could never get anything going the top line was seemed to be the way to go but after hearing comments from the drivers they weren't just riding around the reason that they said that they were doing that is because they were all fighting their car so much harder than in past years so they were literally riding around the top having to lift because they were so out of control i've never heard anything like that at daytona normally you get to daytona you push the gas you turn left you don't let off but apparently the drivers were lifting and like i seen even a couple times i think jimmy johnson was getting sideways it looked like the camaros were having a harder time than anybody and i think it's because of their new body they ain't really got it figured out yet the Fords mostly seemed pretty much the most stable. I mean, they had <laughs> Brad was uh, leading. I think Blaney was second and Joey was third. And basically, I, I knew once them three got lined up at the front, it was going to be very hard for anybody to break up three fast Penske cars. And that ended up – Blaney made a move with two to go that he, he probably got a little bit, you know, probably went too early. He got a little testy and tried to go to the bottom and it didn't work out and lost some spots, but – did you see the wreck on the last lap? Yes. That's what everybody's talking about. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty wild. <laughs> what was your thought on the wreck? Did you think it was totally Larson's fault? No. What do you think? Uh, I don't – okay, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal about play racing. It's not like Bristol where you can say, okay, he just wrecked him, or Martinsville where he just wrecked him. 
in plate racing, you have to look at the whole picture, and you have to look at who had runs, you know, what was going on behind them, what was going on in front of them. That's plate race. I mean, yeah. If you get out of a race and you only have one big wreck at a plate race, you're doing pretty good. Somebody's done, yeah. But people yeah, but... were not happy with Kyle Larson. Oh, I'm sure. Let me read you a text from the great Dustin Adams. Oh, he sent He sent this to me literally right after the wreck had happened. He said, the 42 acting like an idiot, ran the 41, but Kurt saved it and dumped Jimmy taking out the back half of the field. <laughs> and my reply to that was... Yes, that it was Larson's fault. Let's just like Larson hit him too hard. He probably didn't hit him square enough to what he should have hit him, and Jimmy wrecked. But I also think that Larson had a huge run coming from behind him with 18. Jimmy was slower, caught in the middle, and was going to the high line. So if Larson lifts there, he probably gets ran over by Kyle Busch. So it was just not going to be a good situation. That's just last lap plate racing work you know, all hell is going to break loose, and that's pretty much what happened. And, and that's why you get all these random drivers that win these races. It's, right. it's so hard to win these races, you know. But I did hear where Larson was confused on how it happened because he said, like, he basically just hit him like he hit anybody else. Jimmy said that he felt like the push was harder, but he said that he thought it was because of the new noses. The Camaro noses in the back, the back ends of the car don't line up like they did. So he basically just drove up underneath him and lifted him up. Yes. He, I mean, he was trying to hit him square. I think he hit him a little bit to the right and then where the noses don't line up right and where they weren't doing a ton of bump drafting the whole race. I think it was just, it was bound to happen. They just didn't know how it was going to react. But that definitely affected the end of the race because Jimmy would have had a mass, if that would have worked, and Larson would have connected, and Jimmy would have kept it straight. Jimmy might have won the race. Yeah, so your top five for the clash is Brad Kozlowski, Ford, Penske. Joey Logano, Ford, Penske. Kurt Busch for third, Ford, Stuart Haas. I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing a trend, though. Ryan Blaney, Ford, Penske. Yes. <laughs> Austin Dillon, Chevy, Childress. So, I mean, there's, there's the one guy in there. Of course, you know Chase Elliott, he uh, led 17 laps for Did he uh, end up Chevy. finishing sixth? 13th. Oh, okay. I was getting ready to say, because I've seen the picture of uh, Chase's car, and it was torn out of pieces. Yeah. A lot of the cars were torn out of pieces. So Brad led um, 43 laps. Yeah, Brad was the dominant car all day. I thought Brad started at the very back, and he was up in the top 10 like on lap 8, and he was leading at like lap 39 or something. I think he led the rest of the way. I, I knew when Blaney was riding second, I knew he was going to make a move, but I didn't know what Joey was going to do because that's kind of an odd spot for Joey to be in. Do you push your longtime teammate, you know, and Brad, do you stick with him or do you push your brand-new teammate? Or do you, you know, is it somewhere in the middle for you to try to win the race? It's not a points-paying race. But I think they handled it about the best they could have beside Blaney maybe jumping the gun and going too early. Yeah. I mean, you could tell these all working together. I thought with it was a good those, race. With all the Penske and Fords, you know, finishing in the top So, did you see everybody? I don't get this. And I, I didn't even notice it during the race. Everybody on Twitter is yelling about the TV graphics. I had no idea. What it is, is they've got this bar. People who watched it will know. There's like this bar. It's almost like a scoring pylon. And they've got it on the left side of the screen instead of using like the traditional ticker up top. So everybody was complaining on Twitter, like bashing Fox, like saying, like, what are you all doing with this big pylon? It's taking up my whole TV. But the thing was weird is I didn't even notice it during the race. I, I think I was, just, I was just so into the race that yeah. I didn't notice anything being different. And I don't think the people, when Clint was watching it, I didn't ever hear a text from him about it. It's just weird what some people noticed, but there were literally thousands upon thousands of tweets about that pylon on the left side. I wonder if they change it before Thursday. That'd be interesting though. So let us know what you let us let us know if you noticed it. Yeah. Because I mean, I didn't pay no attention to it. I, I didn't, didn't notice until it. you just I had no it. idea. And the people that I was talking to during the race didn't notice it, but a lot of people did. So can I tell you a funny story that happened during the race? Oh, let's hear one. So here's a classic debate. <laughs> okay. If you're watching a sporting event with your significant other and they're asleep. And something fantastic <laughs> happens. Are you allowed to wake them up? 
in what manner are you waking them up? Are you like jumping, screaming, shaking them, or are you just like, hey, 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 hey? Probably somewhere halfway between. I wasn't like, I mean, I wasn't screaming at the roof saying, you know, they're <laughs> crashing. <laughs> this is becoming a common problem in my household. Uh-oh. Because I got to watch what I say. Because this is going to be played probably in the car ride tomorrow on the way to Daytona. Yeah. See, sometimes, I, I get it, races are long. You know, you want to take a little snoozer. It's a 75-lap race, though. So Christian's sleeping. But then, you know, there's 10 to go in this race, man, and I'm pumped up. And oh, I'm yeah. saying, you better watch this. Casey's running seventh. Carson's running six. Oh, she knows he's not going to win. So. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. She's going to kill you me for that. You just became, you just got on her. Yeah. We're both in trouble now. <laughs> but anyways, so I think I, I calmly nudged her on the knee and said. Calmly yeah, nudged? Yes. Okay. I said, there's 10 to go. You better wake up. I didn't hear anything. Apparently, she told me to shut up. <laughs> is what she said. So then we get to the last lap. And she's wide awake now because I've been yelling at the TV. And we're sitting there watching the last lap. And I'm I'm yelling at Larson, you know, go, Larson, push Jimmy, push, push. Larson crashes Jimmy. Christian looks at the TV, and she goes, what's he doing? What was he doing? He just wrecked him. Now he's going to wreck Casey. Just, like, yelling at Larson, like, yelling at me. Like, I'm, you know, driving the 42 Camaro out there. So I took the blame for Larson. And then I didn't hear anything for about 15 minutes. And I was like, why is she so pissed off? Yeah. And it was because I should, I apparently should have let her sleep. <laughs> but I thought she would want to see the exciting race in action. So what would you have done? What, uh, was, the, what was the right thing? Should I just let her sleep? She said I should have. But what if Casey would have won the race? And she then she would have been, been mad. She yeah. would have been mad that you didn't wake her up. Well... Katie would kill me no matter what if I woke her up for NASCAR. She is not into it. At least, at least Christian, you know, she she will, she enjoys it. She enjoys racing, you know, yeah. and she enjoys NASCAR. Katie says all they do is turn left. So I've already lost that battle. But so, if it was during a basketball game, what would you do? Oh, yeah, I'd wake her up. Yeah, I feel like you have to. I feel like if you don't and, they, and something good happens and they miss it, like, wouldn't you, you would have to live with that. I would, yeah. I don't know. It, I was in a little bit of hot water for about 20 minutes after. We're all good now, though. <laughs> a, tr- a trip to Daytona cures everything. A trip to Daytona. We're going to Daytona, so, you know, it'll so, even out. Yeah, so y'all leaving out tomorrow? Out. Leaving out tomorrow. I've got a well, – we're staying in Jacksonville because you can't find a room in Daytona. So leaving out tomorrow. First Daytona 500. We're going to go to the duels on Thursday. I'd probably be, you know – two of the 200 people that's actually at the duels Thursday. I don't expect a big crowd, to be honest with you. Going to go down in the pits on Saturday and hopefully try to meet some people and get some pictures. I promised her we'd try to chase Casey Kane down. Probably chase Casey and Kyle Larson. If I could get pictures with them, I'd be happy. That's that's awesome. That'd be great. So here we are at the Daytona 500 qualifying. Um, 88, it's up on top. Yeah, I – I seen either the 88 or the 24 getting it. I think I seen where Hendrick has been on the front row. One of their cars has been on the front row the last four years. So That's it seems like they've always got their car set up that it can run really fast alone in a pack. You know, they're sometimes out of control. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wasn't too surprised to see. I thought though it would be William Byron because no, most of the time in the 500, it's always the storyline that's sitting on the pole. Danica Patrick sat on the pole. Austin Dillon in the three car the first time back. I thought it would be William Byron, you know, the, the hot new rookie. But. Well, he's not too far back there. So the, the top ten or the uh, qualifying order is Alex Bowman, Denny Hamlin, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Chase Elliott. And so, I thought this was interesting. Hendrick Gibbs, Hendrick Gibbs, Hendrick Gibbs, Gibbs, Stuart Haas, Stuart Haas, Roush, and Hendrick. Yes. So basically, Stuart Haas cars and Fords, well, let's just group it in Fords. Fords race really, really good. And if they get one, two, three, four, or whatever, one, two, three, it's over. They're gone. But alone, it seems like the Chevys and the Camaros are faster. 
if it's me, I want a better car in the draft, but it's not, you know, a bad thing to have the fastest car in Daytona. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if they can survive um, some big wrecks and if, get up there, you know. If they can get them handling better. It's, right. If, if they can get them to where they're not, you know, sideways. They're so fast, but they're sideways. But that's crazy, man. Kevin was So, Harvick's the only Ford in the top ten? Uh, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. So, two Fords in the top. That's crazy. Two Fords, eight and nine. They used to come down and be – Fords used to always sit on the pole at Daytona. Yeah. Seemed like so, you that. got Chevy Toyota, Chevy Toyota, Chevy Toyota, Toyota, Ford, Ford, Chevy. I'm surprised the Toyotas were that fast. But I guess, I mean, they everybody's done their homework, it seems like. Yeah. All right. So, we got the qualifying order. You're heading down. Who you got winning this thing? Oh, this is tough, man. Okay, I got a little stat. I think. Oh, and speaking of this, hold on. Dale Jr. is going to be the Grand Marshal. I know. So how cool. I haven't even really thought about that. That is pretty cool. Yeah. It's going to be really weird. It's going to be weird. Really weird, but that is pretty cool. So You know who the pre-race concert is, by the way? I have no idea. Rascal Flats. Rascal Flats. Ain't that just uh, odd? A little bit, yeah. I don't know who should play the Daytona 500 concert, but I don't think Rascal Flats when I think Daytona 500. No. But, you know. I guess we'll listen to My Wish and Life is a Highway and be happy. <laughs> I'm sure Christian will enjoy it. Yeah, somebody so. there will enjoy it. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be us, but somebody will. All the Casey Kane fans. <laughs> You're just digging. <laughs> see, Christian, comments like see. that are going to get us not <laughs> being allowed to do this podcast. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So who you got picked for the 500? I think it's going to be really tough to beat the Fords. I think I don't – Brad's probably the favorite – I'm not going to pick Brad, though, because it seems like the favorite never wins Daytona. By the way, I need to say, I did ask Clint for his opinion Uh-oh. on this, and he said that he's picking Kevin Harvick. Big shocker there. Yeah. But he said that Casey Kane was his um, underdog. There we go. And he said he thinks there was going to be a lot of wrecks because of the way the Camaro, no- the noses on the car line up. Uh, I think that's all he said. He sent a big long pair. If he, if I missed something, Clint, I'm sorry, but that was his three big talking points. But he, he's going with uh, Kevin Harvick. I think a Ford's going to win. I don't know. I can't really decide on which one. I don't want to, you know, Joey Logano's going to be fast. Ricky Stenhouse is going to be fast. I think Blaney's going to be fast. It could really be any of those guys. But just to be, just to hope for a little something different. You know, just if I can, I'm going to pick it. the Since I'm going to be there, I'm going to pick the way I want it to happen. So last year, Kyle Larson's leading with one lap to go on the 500. Runs out of gas. Probably would have won the 500 if he wouldn't have ran out of gas. So this year, I'm picking Kyle Larson. I don't know how it's going to happen. We might have to have some people be eliminated. But I'm picking Kyle Larson to win it, and I'm going to be there and run down on the track and probably get thrown in jail. <laughs> I'll come back, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Brad is the favorite. I mean, I, I do like Brad to win. Uh, he's fast. Um, I like Kyle Busch. Wild thing. I, I, I think I think Kyle Busch, for some reason, I don't know, I just got this feeling that, you know, he was hot, basically um, hot at the end of last year. I mean, he came runner-up to Truex, Truex and uh, I think it's going to carry over to this year. I think he's going to be pretty dominant. As bad as I hate it. I mean, I'm not a Kyle Busch fan, but I, I think he's going to have a good showing. And I like, and I like Stenhouse. I, I think Stenhouse is going to be up there too. So, Did you see what happened to Stenhouse during the um, clash? So no. he get he goes – Kyle Busch basically forces him below the yellow line. They're racing for like fifth. And Kyle Busch basically forces him below the yellow line, like slams him down there, and NASCAR calls a penalty on Stenhouse. <laughs> for a lap penalty basically he i mean he would have been a factor in the clash but that penalty really hurt him junior got into it dale jr got into it with steve o'donnell after the race on twitter and said that they need to eliminate the yellow line rule completely and you know ricky stenhouse basically tweeted something like you know next time i'll just crash him and we'll wreck the whole field and it looked like an arca race so there was some hot hot there feelings. was yeah there was stenhouse was not happy that they black flagged him and i thought it was a bad call too when me and Clint were talking about during the race, I texted him. I said, "Man, that was a bad call." We both agreed on it because it looked like Kyle shoved him down there. And yeah, that's that's the Kyle Bush thing to do. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. So um, with it being uh, Daytona, I figured it'd be kind of fun to run through some. Um... Who is your pick, by the way? Oh, yeah, that's right. I- I'm named like three people. Uh, let me throw one out there. I'll just go Kyle. I hope not. I hope not, too, but... That'd be a long trip home. Let me say Stenhouse. Say Stenhouse. Stenhouse. But I've I've seen him win before, so I've seen it once. I can deal with it, I guess. Yeah. As long as it ain't Brad. I've seen Brad win like seven times. I like Brad, but I don't want to keep seeing him win every time. I just hate watching interviews. Yeah. He kills me the way he talks. A little bit awkward. (laughs) Good guy, though. Yeah. So, all right, Stenhouse, final pick. Rick Stenhouse Jr. So Stenhouse and Larson. Stenhouse, Larson, and Harvick. Yep. All right, so some fun facts. Uh, did you know in 1974 the Daytona was the Daytona 450? I didn't know that. Yeah, so basically in 1974 there was like a energy crisis. Oh, I remember, yes. I've heard so this. NASCAR shortened all the races by 10%. So what they did was they started on lap 21 and they raced all the way to the 200 flat. Nice. So um, they shortened it by 10%, and good old Richard Petty won the Shocker. race. Shocker. So, Mr. What, how many times did he win there? Six, <laughs> seven, seven times? Oh, yeah, it's right here. So most victories, Richard Petty. Right. Seven victories at Daytona. Right. Um, let's see. The most laps led was Richard Petty. In 1964, he led 184 laps That's a of butt 200. Kick. That's a butt kicking. <laughs> I don't know who's racing against him, but he led 184 laps. And uh, the least laps led and won the race was Jamie Mack. 2010, he led two laps. Two laps. And won the race. And two that counted. Two that counted. And um, let's see here. The lowest starting position to win the race? I have no idea. 39th, Matt Kenseth, 2009. Huh. So you can start from anywhere. You can start just from prove, anywhere. Just proves it. You just got to dodge it and, and pick the right line. <laughs> Basically, pick the right drafting partner. So that's some uh, just some fun facts there from... Uh, 10 out of 10 on your show prep. There you go. Yeah. I'm very impressed. How you like Me that? and Clint never did this. <laughs> the show is already coming in a better direction. Well, like I, like I told you, I said I kind of feel bad because I neglected... I haven't been following NASCAR so close at the beginning of the year because I've been so busy doing a bunch of other stuff so i was like i got prep for this show so i wanted to make sure very impressive i wasn't just sitting here totally clueless all right um let's see here what's some good wrecks that you've seen at the 500 good wrecks i've seen at the 500 the one that comes to my mind first is when brian vickers shoved dale jr under the yellow line and jr pulled back up and wrecked the whole field (laughs) That comes to, and I think Junior at the time was two laps down, because he had pitted under green and lost a couple laps, and Vickers shoved him down. I think it was his first 500 for Hendrick. This happened in, so and people were not very happy with Junior that day. It wrecked about the whole field. Uh, yeah, a, cu- a couple that came to my mind was um, Clint Boyer. He was like sliding oh, on his I roof. Oh, this one. Yes. <laughs> his car was on fire, like in the infield and all that stuff. Right, that I mean, was a good he one. tore the whole back end. Um, or that maybe that was Ryan Newman. No, you're right. That was Boyer. Okay. Newman Newman flipped though about th- three years in a row <laughs> in the grass like that. Newman had some really super bad. He, flips he likes too. to take a ride. And then I remember watching one of the the Dale Earnhardt tribute videos that I've seen, like on Facebook, everybody talking about right. you know Earnhardt up to five hundred and Is all that, that stuff. Ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety seven. When he destroys his car, and I, I said, but we'd come back to this, talk about fixing your car, parts flying off. Right. He destroys his car in nineteen ninety seven. They take it to the pit. They're basically duct taping pieces of his car back on there, and he goes back out and finishes the race. Right. The story was he was in the ambulance and looked over, and he said, hey, the wheels are still on that thing, and jumped back in it. <laughs> Made them let him get out of the ambulance. He gets out of the ambulance. He gets they're, – they're hooking the car up, and he says, get out of my way. Gets in the car. Don't even put a helmet on or anything. He just jumps back in that thing, drives it back to the pits, and they start working on it. But, yeah, so I've seen a video of them like – picking up the the back end of the car and just laying it up on the chassis and they're just like i don't know what they're using i don't know if it's like that bondo tape or whatever right. but they're just like duct taping or gorilla taping that thing back together so that was 97 and then he goes and wins it the next year 98 there you go 20 years of trying there you go so best daytona moments 
Oh, man. Daytona 500. For moments. me, I, I'm a little biased, but the two junior wins, the one in 2014 especially when he runs over that big, huge piece of black tape. Yes. And we all thought the thing was going to blow Everybody up. Everybody was holding their breath the whole time. We all, I thought it was going to blow up, and it ended up making two laps, and he won the race. But the Kevin Harvick, Mark Martin finish, that was a super – That was a good one. That was awesome. That was the one you're talking about where Boyer was flipping. They yeah. were flipping, and then in the meantime, Mark Martin and Kevin Harvick were having like the closest And Mark Martin, he, he never has won, has he? He never did no, win the 500. Never did, did win a 500. He was that close, and – Never won a 500, never won a championship, came second in the championship. So, I mean, mean, that was his career. But he was a great driver, just never could quite, you know, get the big one. But that was a really good one. The wackiest moment, I don't know if you remember this one. Do you remember when Sterling got out of his car and yanked on that fender underneath that red flag (laughs) that one time? (laughs) Sterling. Sterling. And I don't don't know what. (laughs) He was leading. So, he's the leader. He wrecks Jeff Gordon, I think. And Jeff Gordon goes in the infield, spins or whatever, and it causes a red flag, big commotion. There's a big wreck behind him. Sterling just gets out of his car, you know, <laughs> walks over to the fender and gives it a pull. He's leading the race, the 500 with five to go, by the way. And as soon as he does it, you know, you see the door fly open on the pace car and they get out and make him get back in. Sterling says, well, I seen Earnhardt do that one time under caution. He got out and cleaned his windshield. There you go. I think there's a little bit of a difference, Sterling. <laughs> Yellow flag, red flag. Yeah. Pretty big difference. But Clean the windshield. Only st- jerk on your you finger. You got to love Sterling. Yeah. Who don't love Sterling? I missed old, what was it, Coors Light? Coors Light. Coors the Light. silver bullet. Silver bullet. Yeah. Old Sterling. Um, I don't know. Probably some of mine was 2004 Dale Jr. The first one. Whenever he he said it was like a tribute to his dad, right? That that was awesome. Um, and then uh, of course I'm a Walter fan. He won too. So Mikey, um, Mikey went into 500 and DW. Whenever he did the the icky the icky shuffle, the, the yeah after the big the icky shuffle, back. yeah he cocked his head side hat sideways <laughs> and did the icky shuffle. I like that. That's pretty funny. Um, so how did Michael Waltrip win two Daytona 500s? How did that goofy go- we love him? Yeah, but how did that my, goofy Mikey. goober win two Daytona 500s? <laughs> People yeah. like Tony Stewart never won a 500. Michael Waltrip won two of them. It's just odd, you know how this race has played out. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. All right, so we got the 500 finished up there. I think we've covered it pretty good. Who do you have? Let's let's do an early pick for the championship. Oh man! This Who is... do you have winning the championship? Um, it's it's really hard to tell this early until we get to Atlanta and we kind of see what everybody has in the mile and a half. I think the Camaros are going to make a massive difference for Chevy. I think Chevy's going to be a lot better. Toyota's still probably going to be the strongest. If I was just guessing, I would guess the seventy-eight and eighteen are probably going to be, you know two of the stronger cars all year, and especially Truex. I mean, the row he was on last year. be interesting to see if, if that alliance between Gibbs and Furniture Row, if that keeps going strong or if maybe Gibbs backs off a little bit and says, okay, you all have beaten us long enough. But I think they're going to be super strong. You know, Kevin Harvick, you got to think he's, al- he's always in the hunt every single year, no matter what, especially since he's got a Stuart Haas. Kyle, I like Kyle Larson a lot. I mean – you look at him last year, most of the time he was the only car that could run with the the 78. He gets to the chase and he blows three motors, you know, kind of back to back to back, which kind of, if you look at where he finished in points last year, wherever it was, 12th or 13th, it's not at all representative of how good they were all year. They won four races. So, I mean, they were as good as basically anybody besides the 78 and 18. But, I mean, I think it's kind of going to be them same guys again if – but here's the deal. If Kyle Larson gets to the Homestead, he's got it because he is ridiculously good at Homestead, and it, he drives that place like a dirt track. He could have won there last year, but Kyle Busch and Truex were up there battling for the championship, and Larson kind of backed off of it, which was the nice thing to do, you know, to let them race it out for the championship. But I don't think nobody wants to have to deal with Kyle Larson at Homestead if he can somehow manage to get there. If he can't get there, then it's probably the 78-18 going to be battling for it again. But if Larson can get there, I think he can win it. Yeah. And um, 
I'm right there with you. So so last year we had the top the top five cars was all different teams. You had Martin Truex, Furniture Row. You had Kyle Busch with Gibbs, Kevin Harvick, Stuart Haas, Brad Keselowski with Penske, and Chase Elliott with Hendrick. That's crazy. It worked out that way because all year the Toyotas were so much faster than everybody else. And by the end of the year, it comes out every you know five different teams in the top five. You right. wouldn't have expected that. You still got the Toyotas. You still got two Toyotas, two Fords, and then the Chevy. Right. And the two Toyotas, you know, were by by far the quickest cars all year besides the 42 would run with them sometimes, but them were the best cars all year, and they ended up being the best. It's odd that Truex is a champion driver. Like, I know he's really, really good, but, man, he's driving a rocket every week. They've got that car so good on these mile-and-a-halves. I mean, he's a good driver. He's oh, a champion, but yeah. – I mean, I think a lot of drivers could win a championship. I, I was waiting for something to come down on them all year. I was like, man, there's just something fishy going well, on. Well, they push and it. And they haven't found it, but I don't know. I and guess I think <laughs> a lot of it, too, is the investment that Toyota puts into this. Toyota, let's just be honest, throws way more money into their cut program than Chevy and Ford does. TRD, Toyota Racing Development, they got engineers that have a command center set up at these tracks, not working for the team, not working for, you know, the 18 or the 78. Working for they're the working brand. for Toyota. Toyota. You know, they're making their cars better. They're making their cars faster. Chevy and Ford put a lot of money into their program, too. And with the Camaro this year, I think you'll see Chevy stepping up a lot more. But money wins. And if you're throwing a ton of money in it like Toyota is and you got good drivers and good teams, you're going to have pretty good luck. And it's just attention to details. I mean, just even look at the game. NASCAR Heat. Right. Toyota. Right. I mean, it's. I mean, they're they're just trying to. We're like, hey, we're claiming NASCAR. They're throwing a lot more money in it than everybody else is, and I think that's where they're at, where they are. I think Ford and Chevy got to decide how much they want to throw into it. So I'm kind of right there with you. I think Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Larson. I think it's going to come down to them. Harvick. I mean, he's made the what is it? The final four the last three out of the four years. Yeah, you can never count that guy out. Ever. Harvick's. He's going to be there. Um, Kyle Busch, I think, I think he's going to have a great season, and I think Larson, I, man, I pray, I'd love to see Larson come out and win this thing. If he could get in the final four, he's got it. But it's just for him, they got to put a whole chase together because he's not done that yet in his career. As great as Larson is, they got to get in the chase and have no mechanical problems. You know, don't make any mistakes during these races. They're great in the regular season, but. For whatever reason, so far in his career, he's had some really bad luck in the playoffs. And if he gets that out of the way, I think he's got a really good chance at it. There you go. So we'll we'll be keeping up to date with uh, basically the the standings as we go along with the podcast. Man, you'll do some of these little short. Well, it's not too short tonight, but that's all right. <laughs> but it's Daytona 500. We gotta go. We ain't gonna have many NASCAR shows, so we when we get the Daytona show, we gotta go all. You gotta it. go all out. So let's end the NASCAR talk on a fun on a fun note. All right. So we know over the years NASCARs just had some some great characters. Right. I mean, just some off the wall guys, guys that's full of personality. Who is the greatest NASCAR characters of all time in your book? So I wasn't alive to see this one, but I've heard plenty of stories. Tim Richmond, you know, he was NASCAR's first quote-unquote superstar. He, I think he ended up dying from HIV or AIDS, but he was a party animal. I mean, he was. You talk party, he would run the races, he'd party all night. There's a workout video. You gotta watch this. He'd be hungover driving that thing. You gotta watch this. There's... Somebody tweeted it last week, and it's Tim Richmond, and he's working out with, like, 40, 40 women doing, like, aerobics. <laughs> and they interview him afterwards, and he's like, I'm not here for the women. I'm here because they push me. I'm not here for the women. And he's working out with 40 women. <laughs> so he's a, he's a really good one. Look at, look up Tim Richmond. I have to write that down. So Tim he's Richmond. great. I've never heard of him. Yeah, he's great. So Ward Burton is a really good one. Ward <laughs> Burton. You got to like him because he grew up in, you know, South Boston, Virginia. He yep. has a really thick accent. Threw a glove at Dale Jr. one time. That was a good one. Um, the Waltrips are obviously great personalities. I really like Sterling, though. Sterling, to me, was a great personality. Super great personality. If we're talking funny. Now, we can take this in opposite direction and, you know, say Earnhardt and all these serious guys. Right. But the funny guys to me is the guys. That... Yeah, the funny guys is what makes it. I mean, Mikey, he was he was a mess. 
<laughs> but I enjoyed him because, I mean, he was the comic relief because, you know, I'd get stressed out watching the race and then here come Mikey doing something totally stupid and, right. and just totally destroying his car or now he's on TV and he makes a fool of himself. Sometimes it gets a little, you know, <laughs> but but he's being Mikey. Um, <laughs> just, I love nothing better than a good Dale Earnhardt Jr. interview. He's a great personality in himself. He sometimes he is he's the Ricky Bobby of interviews. Like he just awkwardly just doesn't know what to do sometimes. Like yeah. I mean, yeah, well, um, yeah, you know, uh. <laughs> it, he's gotten a lot better. And who would have thought that he would have been working for NBC? Yeah, you would have told me he's getting a job calling races ten years ago. I'd have said there's no way he'd be standing there, leaned up against his car, rubbing his head. You know, him it's hauling just around. Like, at the start of his career, when I'd say that they were trying to schedule like interview classes and say, ah, he was probably like, nah, don't need that. It, yeah. He's a great interview, but there's some interviews where like he'll go completely off the cusp and just talk for like 30 minutes and give like the best. Like yeah. last year, like with the driver salaries, like he made like a huge headline and wasn't even asked a question. He was asked something totally different and just kind of went totally <laughs> off topic. It gets yeah. into like driver salaries and all this stuff that we had never even heard about and ended up making Kevin Harvick kind of angry. But he's a great interview. I think he's probably he, – Somebody's got to step up and be that great interview. I think Brad's a pretty good interview, but I don't think nobody's ever going to replace Junior. No, no, I agree. And 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 the totally opposite. You said that we could go. One of my favorites is Smoke. Oh yeah. Because you know he hated it. You know if there was something to be said, he didn't care. He's yeah. saying it. Yeah. Whether he was cussing Goodyear out about their tires or. I mean, letting NASCAR have it. You got to have somebody like that. Yeah, and I think now that's kind of Kevin Harvick with with the Cup Series now. But you got to have guys like that who mm-hmm. put that stuff out because not every driver is going to. Right. So you got to have the ones that you know aren't afraid to let NASCAR know what's up. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's two great interviews that we missed. So people's really going to have to step up. Right. Uh, I think Kevin Harvick. I think he's done a great job, but we need we need that Dale Earnhardt Jr. interview out there. So somebody will do it. Somebody needs to step up. All right, so that's basically got us at 52 minutes. Let's finish up about 10 minutes. Um, let's get this we thing up. 52 minutes. We went 52 minutes. Wow, it's a Daytona 500, man. You gotta love the 500. Gotta love the 500. So if you remember our first episode, we covered the collapse. Of our great basketball program. Now it's starting to really look like the collapse. <laughs> then it didn't really look like a collapse. It just kind of looked like, you know, just and an I remember, over-exaggeration. I remember your mouth dropping open. You're like, wow, that's some strong words you picked there. And I was like, I'm just reading. I'm just repeating what I see on Facebook. But like you said now, you're kind of like, well, I mean, maybe not the program, but yeah, it might be the collapse of the year. It's odd. Like, I don't. It's, it's weird being a Kentucky fan under Cal and not really having an expectation to win anything else from here on out. Like, my expectations are just so low. Like, if I could see us easily, you know, winning a game in the SEC tournament and being like a seven seed and going in and winning the first game and then getting put out the second weekend. Like, I could easily see that. I don't really have any expectations. I still love this team. Oh, I do too. But I, I just, get aggravated. But <laughs> I just don't think, if we're being honest about it, I don't think that we have as much skill as what we had in years past. And when I say skill, I mean guys that can score, guys that can consistently guard people. I think we play hard. We didn't play hard against Texas A&M. That was the one, not Texas A&M. Why am I? Oh yeah, Texas A&M. That was our last game. Yeah, yeah. that was our last game. We didn't play hard at times during that game, which was kind of frustrating because that's the first time we've done that. It kind of looked like we quit at times. And normally we don't look like we quit. But, I mean, I I still think we play hard most of the time. I just don't think we're as good, if that makes sense. Right. So, since since the West Virginia game, uh, you've got Kentucky Vandy. uh, We won by two. Right. Uh, Vandy's not good. No. Uh, at, At home, we won by two. Uh, Kentucky at Missouri, we got beat by nine. Tennessee at Kentucky, got beat by two. Kentucky at Texas A&M, what was it? We got beat by 
nine, no, uh, 11. Got beat by 11. And it could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. So, our next one, two, three, four, five, next six games. Our next six games, Kentucky at Auburn. That's going to be a, it's going to be something. Do you think we have any chance to win that game, honestly? Well, I don't know. No. I mean. Bruce Pearl's going to have them boys so hyped up. I kind of feel like we're either going to go down there and win or we're going to lose by 30. And there's nothing in between with this team. I just, I don't know what to expect anymore. I didn't think we'd beat West Virginia. And we went down there and beat them. And then the next week against Vanderbilt, we struggled. And we've not looked halfway as good since. No. So I don't really know what to expect. So we're sitting at 17-8. and eight. We're 6-6 six and six in the conference. We're on a three-game losing streak. And we're going down to Auburn. So I don't know. It's going to be something. How, when do you see our next win? Well, we got Alabama at Kentucky. We could lose five straight. We could very easily lose five. You straight. got Kentucky at Arkansas. Man. Yeah, Missouri at Kentucky. That's should be a win. Yeah. But I mean, they're good. They've been playing good. I mean, they beat us by nine. Yeah. Ole Miss at Kentucky. Yeah. Andy Kennedy's gone after this season. Did you see that? Yeah, and I would. Uh, I'm hearing Kenny Payne could be somebody for that job. I keep seeing that on Twitter. So. We could end up losing Kenny. And then Kentucky at Florida. Yeah, there's not – I'd say – so there's six games there? Six games. So is it – if we go three and three, are we happy? I think so, right? If you can find a way to win three of those, I think you take it. That'd be – Like if you tell Cal right now, we'll give you three wins out of those six, I think he would take it. Probably. I agree. You don't so, want to go and lose, you know, five out of the next six and collapse and miss the NCAA tournament. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's we got to think about it now. I mean, we're an eight seed, and the projected rankings today, we're an eight seed, so we can't, you know, we got to win a few games yeah. here and then maybe win the first SEC tournament game. I don't see us missing the tournament, but we can't say that's not a possibility anymore because it could happen. So what do you think's up with Diallo? He just don't give us much, does he? And it seems to me there's something – seems like him and Cal are like – Don't see eye to eye. Don't see – yeah. Don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. Because I've seen them chip back and forth. Because oh, a lot of the players – a lot. A lot of players, you know, will just kind of not even look at the coach when they're sitting on the bench or whatever, whenever, you know, they're getting screamed at or whatever. Diallo and Coach Cal go back and forth. Right. And whenever they came out of the tunnel at Texas A&M, the last two people out of the tunnel was Diallo and then Coach Cal following behind him. Hmm. So you think they might have had a little conversation. Yeah. I don't know. that I haven't noticed that, but I have noticed the chirping on the bench. I've That's very noticeable. So maybe – Maybe there is, but... And then, you know, that could just be his personality, you know. And Cal of, may just, you know, say, you know, homies from New York, New York kids are probably going to talk. Cal yeah. may just put up with it, but yeah. we've got to figure something out, man. Like, Shea Alexander's our best player and probably shouldn't be our best player, if we're being honest. Like, Kevin Knox should be the best player on the team, should be the leader of this team. Shea's... I think Shea is the only player on the team that's playing up to what he can be. And he, I mean, he's not perfect. He makes a lot of mistakes. But Shea is consistently our best player, and I would have never guessed that at the start of the year. And I I think with his consistency, I think he needs to step into the leadership of this is my team. Somebody needs to step into that role because I I don't think maybe internally somebody has, but as a fan looking, I don't think there's that one person that's – Nobody talks. Nobody talks. But here's what's weird for Shea, like – it, would it be weird for Shea to step in that role knowing that he's not the guy that's supposed to do that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Shea's probably, when the season starts, Shea's, you know, he may think he's the best player on the team. I don't know. But he couldn't have thought, or the coaches couldn't have thought, that he was going to be our best player. So maybe it's weird for him, like, saying, okay, you know. But you know who can't be the leader? Homie. You, you need your best player to be the leader. So either Kevin Knox, Shea, some, one of them two guys needs to step up, be the best player, and be the leader. Like, yeah. who's going to, like, I love Homie, but if Homie's yelling at Kevin Knox and Shea, they're going to look at him and be like, dude, you do something. Yeah. Like, you know, like you can't yell at somebody when you're not doing anything either. 
So the mock draft, um, of course, the first round, you get 30 picks. There's 30 picks in the first round. Uh, I checked it this morning. I think it was updated maybe two days ago. Kevin Knox goes 11th. He stayed pretty much the same. Shea goes 19th. Shea is – see, okay, that's the difference. Shea, the last time we did this, wasn't a first-round pick, and now all of a sudden you're seeing him at 19. Yeah, Shea's at 19, and Diallo's at 29. So he slipped. Diallo's going well, down and Shea's I think he up. was number eight the last time we looked at it. So we may get a situation where something happens, Hami comes back, and we lose Shea instead of Shea coming back and lose Hami. I'd rather keep Shea and lose Hami. I don't think Hami's the type of kid that's going to want to stay in school, though. No. It just it don't appear. Especially, you know, if there is that tension. Yeah. He's, he's going to be gone. But if I can knows. see Shea being around I, for some reason. Now, if he's a top, you know, 15 pick, he's not going to. But I could see Shea being a two-year guy, maybe a three-year guy. I hope. So, I love Shea. So, Please stay, I mean, Shea. You, you got guys like um, Quade, not projected first round, Nick Richards, Vanderbilt, PJ, who has all the God-given talent in the world, if he would use it, and the body. And, and Coach Cal wanted him to be the leader so bad. Yeah. But it happens. No, we'll see. We'll see. But if we get all these guys back, we'll be good next year. How many people we got coming in? Uh, three or four signed. I know Tyler Hero or Tyler Hero or Hero. Yeah. He's going to be our best player, one of the best players in the class. But we got some. I mean. If we can get these guys back, man, we'll be really good. Yeah, I, I think so. I really do. Um, so we'll we'll, we'll uh, end it. You know, we're at an hour and two minutes or so. We'll end it with some weird news out of Kentucky. Um, oh, I like this. I didn't know this was coming. Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw this because I was looking at the roster. I seen Winyard. Ty Winyard. Or Ty Winyard. This is odd. I like where this is going. And I don't even have this in my notes, but as soon as I seen his name, I just kind of started laughing. What's going on there? So basically, all the frats and fraternities and stuff reported to their heads, and I guess it made it to campus police or something, that a Kentucky basketball player was showing up to parties with an armed bodyguard. This is amazing. And I heard Great this story. I heard this story and I was like, who the heck would this be? And then the first person I thought of was Ty. So you you weren't surprised. I guessed it as soon as I heard, because I was thinking, who is stupid enough? You know, I mean, Johnny David, no, I don't see him doing it. I don't, you know, I don't see I don't know who else. But why does Ty Pull need, why does David he need Pull? protection? You are six ten. 6'11", whatever he is, 250 pounds of muscle that can chop wood, a wood chopper. Why do you need protection? Who's he ticked off or, or what mob has he got after him? Or? Why do you need – I don't understand. I don't understand why he needs – Is he like Enos Kanter where he's got the Tur- <laughs> Turkish government has like The a, guy protecting <laughs> him. Did you see a picture of the guy yes. protecting him? I mean, he, I mean, he looks like a big dude that I wouldn't mess with, but – he ain't going to protect Ty Winyard. Ty Winyard's going to protect himself. You would so think. is Ty off the team? Yeah, I think so. He has a back injury anyways, which I think Cal is using to kind of, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff going on there. I don't think we ever see Ty Winyard again. So what about, is it Jamal? Jamal Baker? Yes. So I mean, I'd be excited to see him. I heard a rumbling today on a great, Kentucky Sports Radio. I don't know if this is true. Caller called in and said it. Said that there a caller, not Matt Jones, okay. a caller. Yeah. Said that there was some uh rumblings going on in the locker room with him. As in coming back? As or? in not coming back. Hmm. So I don't know what's going on there. But it's As in like for the rest of the year or like period? Somewhere it could be both. Hmm. So I don't know what's going hey, on. Yeah, we need not, him though because yeah. he's a shooter. He's a shooter. Yeah. He's a, like That's a shooting what, specialist, which is what we could use. And I don't. He's hurt right now, but it. I haven't heard his name like all year. To be honest with you, I forgot him until I was looking at the roster. <laughs> I don't know what's there's there's a lot of things going on with this team. I don't really know what's all going on, but we could use him if we could if he's healthy. Yeah. Did you like how Brad Calperi got some first half minutes? He did. He got the big, uh, big rebound. Oh man! Was Cal, you yelling Cal was at happy. your TV? What is going on? Did you see him 
I knew what was going on. <laughs> hey, I, I will take anybody that comes off that bitch with some energy. He had it. He got a rebound. Yeah. I mean, which is more than I was bashing him. And Kristen's like, he got a rebound. He got a rebound. I was like, he, he got a rebound. Give us some energy. Maybe it'd Cal be... is so stubborn. You knew Cal was going to end up playing him. Yeah. And he, he ain't done yet. He'll play his senior year. I bet he plays quite a bit. Cal is so stubborn. He's gonna play. He's gonna play him just because people say he can't. And he's gotta live with his wife. Yes, very true. So good point. All right, guys. So I think that's going to do it uh, for this episode. Of course, it's the 500. We had to cover some NASCAR, but don't worry. Home sweet home is coming to SoundCloud and iTunes uh, next week. Uh, I'll be uh, out in Beattyville. Uh, recording, um, you know, which way is up and tapping into the Red River Gorge, uh, the money machine that it is. So uh, make sure you give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, share our post, give us a listen and comment. We'd like to know what you think, you know. Let us know who do you think is going to win the 500, your early pick for a championship. And um, if you want to throw a Kentucky comment out there, go ahead, too, because it's all over Facebook anyway. So Just keep it PG-rated. Yeah, keep it PG. Keep it PG. So, again, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you soon.